Just a quick word on this podcast because it's a bit different to the usual ones that we do that are news focused. And uh, on this one, we're putting together an activist's toolkit. So practical tips that people can use if they want to start a peaceful campaign of protest about something. Uh, or indeed a campaign to raise awareness to something. And the idea from this came from Michelle Obama's speech to the Democratic National Convention last week as we record this. And uh, in it, she referred to her speech in 2016 about uh, going high and going low. And she said, so what do we do now? Where's our strategy? Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low... Does going high still really work? And she says, my answer, going high is the only thing that works. So in this podcast, then, we're looking at how activists can go high when others are going low and whether and how it's possible to go high in Estonia with respect to, for example, answering critics in a useful way with respect to getting a campaign message out there um, among all the noise and with respect as well to using social media in a practical and useful way. So with that note, on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to Questonia, the podcast where we ask the questions uh, about Estonian news and culture that we think need asking. Uh, I'm Stuart Garlick and as usual I'm here with Marie Telland and um, in a moment we're going to be talking to Gertu Birgit Anton who is uh, an environmental activist from Estonia who's done tremendous things uh, and is a teenager and is known by some people as Estonia's Greta Thunberg because of the influence she's had and because of her campaigning ability. Um, But uh, Maris, the aim of today's podcast is to uh, create a kind of activist toolkit and give people an idea of how whatever the issue is they're concerned about, they can make a difference. But uh, maybe you'd like to put in a kind of contemporary light and explain why we came up with this idea. Yes, we've seen these amazing, huge protests happening in in Belarus, in Minsk and other cities. And we've also seen uh, Belarusians living in Tallinn doing their own um, solidarity protests. So uh, they started out several weeks ago, actually before the elections in in Belarus. And um, clearly these were people who were just starting out with activism and uh, have been uh, tapping a lot into the know-how of uh, some of the local, more experienced activists where that led to led to a nice um, uh, sort of reenactment of the Baltic Way on Sunday. Uh, obviously, the event in Lithuania was much, much bigger, but I think... Uh, I think what uh, what the Belarus and uh, local act- uh, civic activist community pulled off in Tallinn was not bad at all. So um, we can see more and different groups getting out on the streets uh, for different causes. There, we also earlier talked about the Black Lives Matter protest on this podcast, and um, uh, clearly there is uh, there is a diverse. Uh, 
sort of a spread of different interests where people feel that they need to express themselves also out on the streets. So just to uh, discuss um, activism and tools and ways of doing it in a more in uh, in general, but then also trying to tap into some experiences. We talked to Kertu Birgit Anton and myself under my activist hat as well. Yeah, so uh, let's hear that interview now. All right, um, Gertu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Um, now, you're, you're an activist, and I think it's probably best if you tell people what you're an activist in and what was the campaign. Yes, so I'm an activist in this movement called Fridays for Future. Um, I'm active in the Estonian chapter. And, uh, well, the main campaign that we have been working for, working on for the past one and a half years now uh, has been to raise awareness about the climate crisis that we're in and the fact that the politicians are not doing enough to, to alleviate it. But then I think the last, the last campaign that we have had and that's still ongoing is that we went to court against um, this new oil shale uh, refinery being uh, created in Estonia because we think that it's completely irresponsible to go forward with such a project in the context of climate crisis. It's also quite nonsense uh, economically. So that's why we went to court against that. Okay, and um, uh, maybe before we drill down into activism in general, we could talk about uh, how that court action is going, because th this is the uh, government's grant that was proposed to uh, Estienergia, uh, the uh, state-owned uh, energy company, to build another oil shale plant, uh, plant in uh, mm -hmm. East Estonia, which they claim is going to be uh, cleaner shale mining, but whether that's an oxymoron or not. So, uh, um what was your court action focusing on and uh, how did you put it together and how is it going? Well, the main, our main focus in that uh, court case is uh, that it's, in our opinion, this uh, project is not compliant with the uh, climate targets that we have taken with uh, international agreements, such as the Paris Agreement. So that's why we think uh, that it can't be uh, constructed. But right now, uh, the situation with the case is that all the parties in the case, all the sides, have submitted their positions and now the court is analyzing them or what's the proper word for that. And uh, the, we don't even have the hearing uh, scheduled yet. So it's sort of pending for us that uh, we asked for preliminary legal protection so that uh, while we are in court, uh, against this uh, project, then the SD Energia can't uh, continue with uh, the construction. But unfortunately, we weren't granted that. So actually, now while we are in court, SD Energia can still proceed with uh, building the plant. Gertu, I, I guess uh, Marius will have her own questions for you, but maybe I can begin this sort of general activism thread by asking you, um, what was it that made you angry enough to become an activist? And uh, when, when was the when, when was the first time that you took, decided to, decided to take personal action against something that that annoyed you so much? I'm not sure that 
I became angry at something uh, that motivated me to become an activist. It was more that I was uh, scared and um, and worried about the future in the context of climate change. So uh, it was in the end of uh, 2018, I think, and uh, beginning of 2019, uh, when I heard about uh, what Greta Thunberg was doing in Sweden and how other young people were taking action all over the world. And then uh, I met Kristin Ziel, uh, who started the climate strikes in Estonia. And uh, as I'd been thinking about organizing something similar for a long while, then I was really happy to have met her and, uh, and that I could join what she was already uh, doing. So, so that was yeah uh, in spring last year. And, uh, and ever since that, I've been organizing the climate strikes and or all sorts of other events relating to that and uh, trying to influence uh, some policy making and, and so on. You have uh, been amazingly persistent even throughout the pandemic and everything. But um, what's uh, noticeable is that um, while um, like in, in countries like in Germany, there were tens of thousands of uh, youngsters on the street at the height of the climate strikes. In Estonia, the numbers remained fairly small, especially uh, in comparison to, to some other countries. How do you explain that? First of all, uh, actually, the number of participants has differed quite a lot. So on the very, very first climate strike in Estonia, there were three of us. And then a week later, when, when there was a global strike on the 15th of March uh, 2019, then I think all over Estonia, there were about one and a half thousand uh, people uh, protesting against inaction uh, about uh, the climate crisis. And uh, the protest took place in Tallinn, Tartu, and a number of other towns too. So that was actually uh, a success for us that we managed to organize them in different places. But yeah, after that, we've had some major events with uh, uh, with many hundred, a few hundred people uh, participating, and then those weekly strikes when we have maybe 10, 20 people. So that really, on our part, it really depends on how much effort we put into organizing them because we don't have the resources to organize a major event uh, every week. So we do that uh, every couple of months. But also we must admit that there are just quite few people in Estonia. So uh, in, in places where you might have millions of people in a single city, it's obvious that you'll have more participants. And it's also quite common around the world that during those smaller weekly strikes, there are a few dozen people in a single city protesting and not that many more. So that's not actually uncommon. But I'd say that uh, one factor is also the fact that uh, when we first started with climate strikes in Estonia, it was something very new and something exciting. And now that we have passed the 77th week of striking in a row, then it's not that exciting anymore. And uh, and people who are not, unfortunately, so concerned uh, about the issue, they, they've just gotten bored, I think, to put it very simply. 
This is a really interesting point that you make, actually, because um, uh, long-running organisations like Greenpeace uh, seem to find ways to catch the public's attention with campaigns uh, in and, and sort of reinvent themselves every few years. Um, how how was um, but how how as a sort of an activist or the leader of a small activist group do you go about sort of reinventing your campaign and starting afresh and getting new people on board after such a long time? Well, that's something we're thinking about all the time, and uh, we're not ex exactly sure that what would be the next event like to maybe attract, again, a thousand or a few thousand people. Uh, how do we get more activists to participate in the day-to-day -day work that goes on behind the scenes and so on? So, yeah, it's it's a constant struggle for us. Um, and... Uh, and to be honest, we really haven't been able to reinvent ourselves in this like major way, uh, like Greenpeace and other organizations do, because we we are a very small team with uh, with quite limited resources, and uh, and so yeah, we don't really feel that comfortable uh, doing something very new or even coming up with those very innovative ideas, although we w we really would like to. So yeah, that's uh, that's something we're trying to improve. <laughs> Well, it's um, it's a matter of resources, and um, clearly, I feel for you having uh, having been involved in a in a different uh, angle protest movement in Estonia for more than uh, one and a half years now. Uh, it's a similar frustration in a way that um, something that you do um, against problems that have not been solved, it just becomes a routine and pe people just, um, care less and less. And then the tools you have at your disposal as a, as an independent activist with no, no sort of, uh, uh, funding or resources from, um, donors because you don't have, uh, that time to, um, access donors, etc. Uh, it ends up that you are really depending on on the social media a lot for yeah. organizing, and the social media, obviously, as we know, does offer great tools for organizing, but at the same time also sets uh, quite uh, quite big limits to what what you can do, and you you think you can rely on that, you can rely on the events being. Uh, shown to people and people being invited to the events and uh actually this is not uh, not good enough so uh we are uh, we are in a similar similar position here i think and uh and everyone involved in sort of public social activism needs to invent new ways that go beyond um beyond the usual street protest or a, a campaign on a social media platform yeah, um, Maris is uh, um, for for le listeners who don't know. Maris is uh, part of the uh, campaign that translates as "Yes to Freedom, No to Lies," which has been taking place uh, since the coalition um, was being put together um, of the uh, most recent government. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's an interesting point you raise about uh, there being similarities, but. Uh, to, to begin with, of course, Maurice, your campaign had that uh, big um, p um, protest in Freedom Square that was attended by a thousand people. Um, and um, it, since, since then, I think yourself and other people have been outside uh, the House of Government, Stenbock House, um, um, every Thursday morning, uh, which is when the when the cabinet sits. Um, 
But uh, have have you noticed a um, 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 that there are certain still certain hot button issues that get people coming back to the protests and coming back to the campaign? Uh, and uh, same question as well to Gertu afterwards. To be honest, I haven't noticed it since um, since last autumn. Actually, the last surge of people where we really did um, get um, a lot more people was last. Uh, last September and ever since then it has been just um, the sort of the hardcore who has um, stayed on and uh, for the rest of the of, uh, of the people who you can see we can see them we can approach them in in the in the social media groups uh, and in the in the in the Facebook page followers uh, they do comment, they, they do uh, come out into the discussions in the social media, but they don't come out to protest. And there's a certain fatigue that has set in. And also, uh, uh, when you don't really have a, have a success, when you can't deliver a success after a while, trying to do the same thing over and over again without reaching uh, a result, um, obviously, a very human reaction is to um, to give up. <laughs> so um, that's um, that's the thing here. And of course, indifference to uh, maybe Gertos and Kristin's uh, task. We still have uh, like the the longer the time drags on, the closer we get to the next elections. That hopefully will. Uh, open uh, a new window for change, whereas in the case of uh, the climate emergency, there is no other um, benchmark date where where a big change can happen automatically. Obviously, elections possibly as well, but uh, the urgency I think that the young generation feels is quite uh, quite different from sort of the day-to-day politics. I can relate uh, a lot to what Maris just said. Um, in our case, too, uh, in the weekly protests, where there are usually, as I mentioned, like 10, 20 people, it's mostly the core group of organizers uh, who basically keep the mo- uh, movement going also behind the scenes. Uh, it's them who participate in the strikes. But then again, it's, uh, it's very enjoyable to see new people showing up after like every once in a while and they and some of them for example say that yeah i didn't really know about the issue before and then i came to the first climate strike uh maybe so last year in spring and then for a while i had this and that going on so i couldn't come but now i still think that the issue is, issue is really important so now now i've joined you and we've had those people um maybe then participate for for a few months straight so so that's been um that's been nice to see and uh, but yeah, we we also have this problem that uh, that or issue that people ask us a lot. That what do those protests change then? And uh, and well, it's it's sort of difficult to answer because we don't have those very clear uh, wins that we could show that you know this protest last week changed this thing and and this week we're going to change that. But still, uh, I think one of the major gains is that we show that the climate crisis is still ongoing. It's still important. It should still continue to be on the top of the agenda and it can't be forgotten. So just this constant reminder to people. 
and uh, and also I think raising awareness and showing that there are people who think that the that tackling the climate crisis is so important that they are bothered to stop their daily routines and go on go out to the streets, which is something I think that doesn't come naturally to to most Estonians at least. Uh, so so that's uh, an argument that we can use, for example, when uh, meeting with politicians. But I think mm. that actually street protests as a means of showing uh, showing a demonstrating opinion is uh, is sort of new to Estonia in the way that like we've had them before and decades ago too. But uh, but I think in in the spring last year there was this new wave of protests and uh, and many people who maybe hadn't ever gone to a protest before now came out to the streets. So I think the climate movement and also the movement that Maris is in and then some others too have actually created this new culture of street protest in Estonia that didn't really exist before. Yeah. Um, how important would you say it is to, uh, and th this is a question for both of you again, to to um, smaller groups that uh, you actually uh, capture the algorithm and take advantage of the algorithm on social media? Because um, obviously uh, many groups have used Twitter to their advantage, but uh, Facebook is becoming more and more difficult uh, to get your voice heard on. How difficult is it, do you think, uh, Gertu first, then Maris, to actually use social media to the advantage of your campaign? campaign and um how would if, if you were an activist starting out with a new campaign uh what would be the first thing that you would do to to get social media up and running and and how would you get people's attention i think it is yeah as you said it's becoming more and more difficult to get people's attention on facebook uh facebook is still the platform that we're using the most uh, as uh, fridays for future estonia we're well we're also using Instagram quite actively and then Twitter to some extent. But uh, but yeah, Facebook is, is probably the one where we have the most communication going on. For us, it was very difficult, very simple uh, to start at first. Um, how we got all those people to participate in the first strike. It was just that we put the event up there, we invited our friends and then it quite naturally spread. Uh, and uh, And I think we got maybe up to 4,000 people interested in the first event or something like that. So, uh, well, for me, who was organizing my very first strike ever, that, that seemed like a huge number. But now it's been actually quite difficult to, to get the next events to spread to people just as easily. So, so if you're starting uh, a, a new campaign, I think the start could be quite easy, actually. But then... Uh, if you plan to keep it going, not just have it as a single event, then that becomes the question that how do you how do you reach people when it's the 10th time? In the case of FFF Estonia, Facebook is one of the major platforms that we're using for communication. So in that sense, uh, it's quite useful. That's where we have the most followers, for example. But what's becoming more and more difficult is reaching people, for example, with the same uh, climate strike events that when it was the first event we ever held, I don't think we paid anything to Facebook or maybe just like 10 or 20 euros. And uh, and then we got a, a few thousand people interested in the event. But now um, sometimes we even do pay to advertise the event, but still it doesn't reach that many people. And uh, and we don't know like how much of it is our fault, and then how much is just the fact that 
Facebook uh, and its algorithms are working in a slightly bizarre way and that Facebook is paid media, not not free media anymore, unfortunately. We experience the same thing and I've been, just been discussing this, uh, uh, how the the post reach has actually um, come down. So, uh, so perhaps uh, it's time to consider some different platforms. And I wonder, all of you are like in their late teens. Um, have you considered using um, TikTok that is very popular these days or some other, some other channels to approach your, uh, your base? Because uh, I think Twitter is not very popular in Estonia in general, among general public and among uh, the younger, younger users. Um, so what else is there? Well, we did consider using TikTok. But the problem, one of the problems with TikTok is that, um, well, at least there are some people who say that it's uh, it's a worse data collecting platform that, uh, than Facebook is. And, you know, there are quite a lot of people who are already suspicious about how much data Facebook is gathering about this. So that made us reluctant uh, to use TikTok. And also, on the other hand, uh, TikTok is not so much a platform where you can share informa- informative content. It's more for you know fun and just those uh, like short video clips that uh, that people watch to entertain themselves, but not really to learn about something. So that's why we're not using TikTok because the topics we usually cover and the way we cover them, the way we can cover them, is this more serious and uh, and like thoughtful way, I'd say. But uh, we are using Instagram quite actively, and uh, that's working quite well too. But it's uh, sort of more difficult to um, to advertise the events there that we that we hold actually in, in you know in the in in the real world. But the word doesn't really spread that well there. So, but it's a great platform for sharing the news. For, for example, if um, if we can manage to produce some visual content to accompany it. Uh, also, are old-fashioned campaigns still useful, like email campaigns, um, or um, is it better to just get out there on the street? Do you think? Well, we haven't really used email campaigns or anything like that. I think so. So yeah, that that's not something uh, that that we're using. But um, yeah, so so we're we're trying to be innovative and. Uh, and such that we that we speak to the younger generations, and and we do those things that you know interest us mostly and, and seem interesting to us and our peers. Um, so yeah, that's that's how we choose our tactics mostly. So you've you've got a critic uh, online, um, maybe someone with a high profile, um, um, pr- probably someone from someone coming at it from the from from the right. Um, how how do you um, how do you acknowledge that they're making a point, but then tell them that their point is wrong and get their supporters to change their mind? Um, there are different ways we've seen of people doing it. Uh, for example, AOC f- favors the favors what she calls the clapback uh, because she says. That's the, the New York way of doing things, but what's the Estonian way of doing things? And uh, do you go do you go at them with with uh, full metaphorical guns, or do you do it politely? Um, that really depends on what the message is like, um, like on the details, because oftentimes uh, when we feel that the person is not trying to start a discussion but 
trying to make a point that's not fact-based, that's not evidence-based, that's just either a conspiracy theory or something like that, um, then often we just don't really react to it because we need to pick our battles and we have very limited resources. So we don't always have the time to go and argue with those people who are very unlikely to change their mind when this young person uh, comes saying that climate, the climate crisis is actually real or, or something like that. But what uh, we've noticed a lot actually at the protests and especially those small ones is that uh, people come to us to talk to us. And, uh, and in those cases too, we, sometimes we feel that the person is not trying to start a discussion with us, is just trying to tell us their point of view and then walk away. But when we have those chances to actually discuss with people, then that's been very, uh, very interesting. So we always try to be fact-based, be evidence-based, um, so we we quote uh, scientific articles or reports, uh, and and we don't really all all the all climate activism is based on climate science, not someone's personal opinion. So that's what we also base everything on that we say. But we try to be also compassionate and acknowledge that we have those different backgrounds that we come from, um, and then and then try to kind of get over them in a, in a very friendly and supportive way and leave, leave the, and, and leave the situation such that uh, the person would feel welcome to talk to us again, maybe a week later or whenever they like. That's, um, that's very nice and uh, idealistic. And I envy you for that. <laughs> but, uh, in our experience, um, we, uh, have, we used to meet a lot of, um, trolling on the on the, the feeds and uh, there was just no way of uh, uh, we, we sort of had this internal discussion whether to keep responding um, and in that way you would keep the engagement rate of the of the post and of the page up which is a way to tell um, Facebook that um, this content is engaging so it's working um, and on the on the other hand, it it's it really wears one down, and uh, and uh, it's not very pleasant to discuss with uh, trolls who go to quite nasty ad hominem attacks mm -hmm. uh, very very quickly, and just uh, just uh, copy paste uh, sort of um, these um, copybook uh, for right narratives. So. It's um, it's very tiring and it's not very helpful if activists are worn down. <laughs> that, that is actually the aim, isn't it, of, uh, of of the trolls to try and get the activists to effectively say, oh, I'm past caring, I'm leaving, you know. Um, so that's their aim, isn't it? Exactly. So you have to, uh, you really have to keep the trolls out. Otherwise, um, uh, friendly people will leave as well because nobody wants to be flooded with this troll content. Well, we've been lucky in the sense that on our social media sites, we, at least until now, haven't had huge problems with uh, trolls. Well, they do come every now and then, but uh, there are also people who are not even uh, FFF uh, Estonian activists who are just, you know, maybe maybe environmental experts or or whoever, and then they go and argue with the trolls. So by the time the activists arrive there, sometimes the argument the discussion is already going um, quite well uh, but 
I think yeah, that's something that um, we have been quite uh, lucky about. And also the fact that I described this idealistic way of how we try to um, talk to people who don't quite think like we do. Well, it doesn't always mean that it happens like that, but we at least try. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it, you're absolutely right on picking your battles because uh, th there are certain cases where, I mean, let, let's use the example of um, um, any, anyone wishing to influence other people either through social media or uh, just through uh, being vocal to uh, think more about the danger of COVID. Uh, if, if they're met by a hardcore anti-vaxxer, they're probably not going to change their mind. So at, at some at some at some stage, you need to sometimes say, I'm not going to change your mind. So I'm going to move on to someone who I can influence, don't you? Definitely. That's, yeah, <laughs> we've been thinking about that a lot, that if there's something, someone who's thinking in a way, way, way different way than we are, then, well, that's just how things are. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested because uh, it's it's not just trolls on the internet. Some sometimes uh, you get approached by real people in the streets. Uh, I'm sure this has been the case with FFF Gertu, but also Maris. Uh, I, I know because I I came to one of your protests, and uh, um, one of your protesters was actually engaged in the street by Ermas Rainsalu. Um, and uh, at at the time, I think that particular protester chose the chose the course of action of remaining silent and letting the signs do the talking. But um, have either of you uh, ever um, actively engaged someone in the street? And do you, do you feel that uh, there is a way of doing this if, if you do get approached and asked about your ideas? Uh, and if, if you do get the chance to, uh, you know, go up against someone? Oh, there are very different options. I mean, it depends on on who the person is. One thing that this um, uh, sort of um, routine um, street protest uh, has uh, definitely um, moved is that people who come on a regular basis don't uh, don't have this um, hesitation to speak to anybody, be it the government member or be it the tourist or be it. Uh, be it a, a, a just a passerby, so uh, it's it's a different matter if you approach a government member with a question, or you just try to explain what what the what the issue is about to a passerby. So um, in case of the government members, we have uh, experienced that in uh, most cases, it's um, just quite pointless <laughs> because you. Uh, you you get gaslighted a lot, um, and uh, in case of passersby, sometimes um, you just realize that people are have not uh, really been following what's going on in the society a lot. So um, there is a chance to make some um, um, there's a chance to um, to tell. Um, to tell the people your version of um, of how the society is developing. Have you ever been debated in the street, Gertu? And how did you handle it? We've been debated on the streets when when protesting uh, quite a lot, and uh, and it really depends on uh, what the person is like. Well, sometimes they come and they well they're very how do you say. Uh, sometimes they really are curious and and have questions like well i 
from some sources. I know that things are like that, but like, what's ver your version of it? And then sometimes they, uh, sometimes people come and try to convince us that uh, things are in the way they think that things are and not the way we think uh, they are. So, so yeah, it's it's been different, but uh, but we actually even moved the location of uh, the protest in Tallinn, for example, to Damsare Park, uh, which is this park in uh, in central city, because now after the coronavirus and the and the number of tourists going down and so on, it became very very dull to uh, stand there at the in front of the parliament uh, every Friday because. There were almost no passers-by, so we felt like no one saw our presence. Uh, no one, you know, we, we didn't really influence anyone. We didn't get to talk to any people for uh, for weeks. So that's why we moved it. And now we're actually happy that people, again, are coming to talk to us, to ask about, like, why we are there in the first place and so on. Mm. Um, to, to link this in with the uh current subject of Belarus. Uh, obviously, we've just seen the biggest protests in the history of independent Belarus, and uh, they're, they're against uh, uh, Lukashenko, who w is thought to have uh, unfairly won the election. But uh, um, to, to what extent do you think, do, do you both think it's true? Uh, we can go Maris first, then Gertu, if you like, um, that there's something inherent in that Estonians don't like to protest in the same way. Or um, are, are we are we seeing that actually there's no difference and that uh, if, if an issue is hot enough, then anyone will go out on the streets? I think if an issue is hot enough, anyone will go. Um, in the case of Belarus, uh, I, my feeling is that they are they are only now getting there where we were 30 years ago so it's it's uh, it's sort of their their singing revolution if you if you will and we've gone through that today we are at a different stage of with this society and uh, and um, the freedoms are slipping away uh, in a uh, much uh, slower pace so uh, the, the metaphor about uh, boiling a frog is very relevant here and uh, uh, the things that people were really upset about uh, last summer nobody even notices um, uh, this year so um, uh, it has nothing to do with a sort of a national uh, character of Estonians being less uh, uh, less ready to protest uh, than the the Belarusians have because they've uh, the Belarusians have uh, uh, survived uh, 26 years of Lukashenko's regime <laughs> without going uh, to the streets in uh, in hundreds and th hundreds of thousands. So um, something had to happen that that triggered this. I mean, he had faked elections before and. Uh, and uh, implemented authoritarian uh, policies before this time it was enough so uh, it's it's uh, it's um it's some unknown factors that uh, that then finally break the camel's neck so to say and trigger a bigger unrest and obviously we have not reached the point here in estonia in a similar way I think I can very much agree with uh, what Maris just said, that we it, we saw that during the singing revolution, for example, that 
Estonian people also when they feel that the issue is important enough, they dare to come out to the streets and uh, and take whatever it takes to 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 reach their goal. I think, but for example. Well, it's very, very difficult to compare what's happening in uh, Belarus, for example, to the activism that I'm doing here in Estonia. But I'll still sort of try that in Belarus, I think one of the motivations behind uh, why people uh, go to those protests day in, day out is that they have a very clear enemy or, or this like very clear target who has to change what. And so, so that's very clear. But in the case of, for example, climate pro- uh, protests, it's actually much more vague in a way that uh, we as a society have to change. The government has to change the policies, but everyone uh, has to also change their daily routines. And we have to change all those different sectors of industries and so on. And and we don't we can't say that there's like this one person who is uh, causing climate change. And now if uh, if we replace that one person in the, in that position with another one, then it will automatically fix all the problems. No, like it's, I think in, in a way it's made a lot more uh, difficult and a lot more complicated. Uh, so that's that's probably why one of the reasons why the Belarusian protests are so well, why why there are so many people and out there and why they haven't got tired yet of it what i'd love to do is 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 get a sort of a checklist of uh, maybe two two or three key things that you need for um, for for a good sort of small campaign um on um on anything um do, do either of you have have any thoughts on you know key fundamentals that you need for a campaign to work and get get attention you need a good team, you need um, good content, you need a cause that you believe in and your team believes in. And uh, the, the, the tools um, you choose depend on where your target group is. So if it, it depends on, on, the, on the languages and on the, uh, on the age of the people you want to, you want to engage in your, in your campaign. But um, you can't do it anywhere if you don't have a if your cause, if you're not convinced of your cause yourself, and uh, and if you don't have a a team and content to provide, so that's where it all starts. Yeah, I I agree that first and foremost, pick a cause that's really important to you, and that's um, that's true to that. Yeah, that's that's true. So that. Uh, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to run a campaign based on lies. Not that I'd have any experience, but it seems incredibly difficult. And secondly, I'd add that uh, be ready to continue your struggle for a long time. And uh, one of the aspects of it is definitely have a team, uh, do it together with other people. And uh, because, because otherwise you'll just burn out too soon. And I think if if those bases are covered, then uh, then that's quite a start for a good campaign. How do people join Fridays for Future and what can they do? Well, one of the ways to join us is to come to the protest with us. So in Estonia, if you're in Tallinn or in Tartu, then uh, we protest on every Friday at two o'clock. 
and uh, and if you're in any other town and want to start a protest there then uh, contact us on i think on social media it's the easiest so you can find us on facebook on instagram and on twitter and then we'll definitely will support you so so that you could organize an event or a strike uh, wherever you live but if people want to come and become activists so uh, contribute uh, daily then probably the easiest is also to contact us on social media or contact the single activist on social media that you know and just say that uh, you want to come and you want to work with us and you're more than welcome to do so Yes, we can be found in front of the government office every Thursday from 11.30 to 12.30. That's when the government uh, uh, meeting and press conference takes place. And also on Facebook, on the page is called So everyone who wants to, wants to join is very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prestonia. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. We'll be back on air in a couple of weeks time. Bye for now.